IPOs are supposed to be the happiest time in a company's life. After years of working toward a big idea, listing day is a celebration of what the company has become and what it still could be. It doesn't hurt that it's also the day founders and a bunch of employees become suddenly wealthy. But nothing is ever guaranteed, even if you're one of the most anticipated IPOs of all time. I'm Alex Ewell. Welcome to the Readback from Barron's. This season, we're winding back the clock and unraveling the stories of the companies behind the biggest and most fascinating IPOs to answer a key question. How do we put a price on innovation? Today on the show, Facebook was already at the top of the world when it went public. The IPO nearly ruined it all. Facebook was basically dragged into doing its IPO. But once they got there, wow. Were they happy? The Nasdaq all but set up shop on Facebook's huge campus in Menlo Park, California. Mark Zuckerberg was surrounded by fellow executives and Bob Greifeld, then CEO of the Nasdaq. All right. Now, I I just want to say a few things and then we'll we'll ring this bell and we'll, we'll get back to work. He hit a button which was supposed to send Facebook public at $38 a share. Everyone on the stage exchanged high fives while the audience of employees cheered and waved to overhead cameras. The whole thing had the look of a big outdoor concert. Except this concert didn't get an eager encore. Within minutes of ringing the bell, Facebook was thrust into the first of its many public spectacles. Mike Isaac, now a tech reporter for the New York Times, remembers covering the IPO. Nowadays, like folks try to downplay the IPO by saying this is just a moment in time, you know, maybe not put so much pomp and circumstance around it. Facebook went the exact opposite direction. So there's all this expectation. We expect like an initial pop as you do with certain IPOs that are highly anticipated or people want to get into. But almost immediately as the clock strikes and we're ready to see it start trading, something goes wrong. And this is my first IPO, so I wasn't exactly sure if this was normal, but it just, something was taking long time to start trading. The shares weren't, you know, moving and I didn't quite understand what was going on. NASDAQ, which had fought off the New York Stock Exchange to win Facebook's listing, suffered a technical glitch after being overwhelmed with demand for the stock. We'll talk more about that in a bit, but it cast a shadow over Facebook that day and frankly, over the next 18 months. The price was all over the place and not shooting up like you kind of thought it was. Like, how much did that have an effect on what happens next? The stock spent the whole day struggling to hold on to its $38 IPO price. There was a point in which folks were wondering if it was going to actually slink below its opening price, basically, which would have been a huge black eye for the company. The underwriters ended up purchasing a lot of shares in order to keep that IPO price up, propping it up, essentially. No one on Wall Street wanted to be responsible for a broken IPO. And from there, there was like a whole dialogue around, did they price it correctly? Did they not price it well? Did the technical glitch have anything to do with it? You know, just real questions around if the company and the stock was viable and did they essentially lose face on what was supposed to be one of their biggest days in the company history? It wasn't just Facebook's reputation on the line. As we've already mentioned, IPOs weren't exactly thriving back in 2012 when Facebook finally decided to go public. And that made its IPO particularly important. Get it right, 
and lots more big tech companies were likely to follow. For the NASDAQ, traditionally the home for tech stocks, Facebook's IPO was its Super Bowl. So when things went wrong, it was a big embarrassment. A few years ago, I interviewed NASDAQ CEO Bob Greifeld, who had been up on that stage with Mark Zuckerberg in Menlo Park. It was a life experience that I won't forget, Greifeld told me. The mess-up was a -a once-in-a-lifetime confluence of events, according to the CEO. A combination of huge demand and lots of investors trying to cancel their trade orders at the last minute. Ultimately, Nasdaq's technology couldn't keep up, and that delayed the opening trade. All of the uncertainty fed on itself, leading to the chaotic first day of trading. The fact that the IPO went so badly was kind of ironic, given that Facebook waited so long to go public and initially went into the process dragging its feet. If it had been up to Mark Zuckerberg, he would have stayed private even longer. But this was the one thing he couldn't control. The company reached a key threshold of 500 shareholders, all but requiring an IPO. That 500 investor limit would soon be changed, as we mentioned in the first episode about the Jobs Act. But once Facebook had no choice, it went all in on the process. Months earlier, on February 1st, 2012, Facebook filed its S-1. Other news now, a major status update for Facebook today. After months of speculation, the social networking giant made it official. It will soon be a publicly traded company. It's expected to be one of the largest initial public offerings in U.S. history. But here's the thing. Facebook in 2012 was a far different company than it is today. It's hard to believe now But back then, Facebook didn't really make any money when people viewed its site on a mobile phone. It was still primarily a desktop world at that point. You know, if you had a smartphone, BlackBerry was still huge. The iPhone was coming up and was definitely like a thing, but the iPhone was also very expensive and it wasn't what it is now, where it's just like, if you don't have an iPhone, you're maligned, basically. That became a huge problem for the company and its IPO. Mark made this bet internally, essentially saying, we are going to become a mobile-first company, meaning when you design products, you design them for appearing on smartphone devices, Android devices, iPhone devices first. And at the time, that was a revolutionary bet. At the time, people were still playing Farmville on their desktops, and Zynga was a world-class company in, in terms of its competitiveness. It was, and the risk factors of their IPO was specifically there. Like, we don't make money on this thing that we think the future of the company is going to be about. And if we aren't able to execute and pivot the company in a whole mobile first strategy, then that's really, really dangerous. It was the first, but certainly not the last, set of doubts Facebook would face. Right before the IPO, Barron's told readers they should avoid the stock, given the likely high price of the shares and the company's ongoing struggles with mobile. Even back then, no one knew how to feel about Facebook. Jack Howe, my Barron's colleague and host of our Streetwise podcast, remembers the IPO. They did that IPO fairly late. I mean, it was fairly mature as a company when they did that IPO. And already it was like, all right, you know, can they keep it going? I can't remember a time when we weren't discussing Facebook as a company that might struggle from here on. Facebook's most important asset Founder and CEO Mark Zuckerberg didn't exactly make the process easier. His meetings with investment bankers and potential investors, the so-called IPO Roadshow, were unconventional at the time. 
you imagine if you walk into Goldman or JP Morgan or whatever that you might be putting on a suit to make that presentation. But um, Mark Zuckerberg took the occasion to wear his trademark hoodie with a blue t-shirt and jeans and sneakers to do it. And I think part of that was just sort of like them leaning into the hacker mentality. And I'm a young kid who built this billion dollar company in my dorm room. And this is the way of the future. But the future hadn't been written yet, at least not according to Wall Street. The question was still, is Facebook going to be the next MySpace? Is it going to like go out of fashion? Can this company that shares billions of status updates or whatever per day, can it actually make money and do its ads work? And that was like not a foregone conclusion. I think people were still sort of curious whether this would work. But at the same time, the valuation of Facebook in the private markets was super sky high. I think probably of the tech companies, one of the most privately valued companies at the time. Those were all the questions that hurt the stock in its opening weeks and months after the May 2012 IPO. By August, Facebook shares had fallen to $18, down more than 50% since that problematic first day of trading. Everyone was just like, my God, this stock is just in the toilet and it doesn't seem to be going up. Inside of Facebook at the time, there was real panic. Like The employees were worried that the stock that they joined for is going to be worth nothing or they might have foregone huge salaries at other companies to join Facebook and that bet might have failed. And so Facebook ended up doing, I remember they, they ended up calling like a kind of emergency event and got Zuckerberg on stage and had an interview with the then executive editor at TechCrunch. Okay, so you're ready? I have, a, I have a few questions for you about the IPO to start. Just get right into it. I, is it is and basically it on, uh, he said, you know, this uh, is just sort of like temporary, but we're going to, you know, push forward really strong. And we're going to do the things that we think are going to build value um, over the long term. And, um, and started also just doing what felt like kind of an emergency pushing out of a few different products. Those products were things like Facebook search designed to compete with Google in an app they bought called Karma that was essentially a shopping integration. They weren't really the answer, but they might have forced the issue. Facebook was going mobile first. To their credit, that slowly grew over the next 18, 24 months to the point where analysts and investors started saying, okay, maybe this company can actually do it and increase the share of mobile advertising to a point where they actually have a future. And today, of course, I'm guessing it's pretty much all mobile, right? Yeah, like the vast majority of their advertising now is from mobile devices and they make, I mean, they make, you know, five, six billion dollars every quarter on those ads. It's really crazy. It, it makes you kind of realize how little we ultimately know about a company's future direction when it's going public. I, I actually, yeah, I really agree with this idea that it is just a moment in time, you know, and I think a lot of it depends on execution and what the executives believe is going to be the future and anticipating different changes in the landscape. In hindsight, of course, no one could argue with Facebook's approach. Zuckerberg was exactly right. His platform grew so large that anyone wanting to reach an audience, you know, advertisers, had no choice but to sign on. And the dollars quickly added up. Last year, Facebook's revenue reached $86 billion, roughly a quarter of the entire digital ad market. 
there was this maxim, build the product so that the users will come, get the users first, and then revenue can sort of follow later on, right? And, you know, all Silicon Valley VCs at the time kept saying that. All people thought outside of Silicon Valley and on Wall Street kind of thought they were ridiculous there and kind of just said, you know, when are you going to build a business? But I think this maxim was still kind of being proven out at that point rather than, you know, sort of accepted as gospel at the time. And Facebook, I think, was really the company to do that. Barron's correctly predicted Facebook's initial struggles. But unlike the company itself, our thinking didn't adapt quickly enough. It's a good lesson for all of us. When tech companies take the long road, the math around the company's IPO valuation can quickly look obsolete. Facebook hasn't necessarily gotten more popular over the years, but its focus has never wavered. And that's made for a powerful business, regardless of how anyone personally feels about the stock. From, let's say, 2016, Facebook has probably suffered more scandals than they have throughout its entire, you know, 15, 16 years of existence, right? Like, it's been the most tumultuous period of Facebook's existence. That said, its stock price has soared. I've always wondered how much society's deeper struggles with social media impact the price of Facebook shares. What happens to a stock when so many people dislike what it represents? This is the same thing that we saw with tobacco companies for many years. It was, there are going to be lawsuits and they're going to kill the tobacco companies, or there's going to be a government backlash, or just people will come to their senses and stop smoking, or whatever it was, the tobacco companies were always just around the corner from dying. And that kept them cheap. And in their case, it kept their dividend yields large. Those companies produced some darn good returns for decades while people were saying that they were on their last legs. In other words, if you stuck through those moral qualms, as an investor, you came out the other side in a pretty good position. Okay, five-year returns. Oh, it's over 20% a year. It's beaten the S&P 500 by about four points a year over the past five years, while we sat here and wailed about whether Facebook can survive. After everything, mistakes, scandals, and regulatory troubles, Facebook is arguably the most successful tech company on earth. The company continues to add users, even though it's already used by nearly 3 billion people. Even the best companies eventually see their growth flatline but typical business patterns just don't apply to Facebook. Monthly active users were 2.8 billion as of the end of last year. That's up 12% year over year. And they're making more money from each user as time goes on too. That's like, that's a small country, not even a small country. It's a large country of people that they added in one quarter. One key here is that Facebook isn't just Facebook. It's easy to forget that Instagram is now the main driver of growth at the company. There's also e-commerce, WhatsApp, and virtual reality. And given Facebook's ability to continually evolve, we probably shouldn't bet against those efforts. For now, though, investors are skeptical. Using traditional valuation metrics, Facebook stock is pretty much as cheap as it's ever been. That might sound strange for a company that's valued at $850 billion. But other companies with Facebook's huge growth might be worth double that. It all comes back to deeper questions we have about Facebook and social media's place in our world. I think there's a disconnect between 
the markets and the general user sentiment around like whether Facebook is quote good or bad. And because they have done so well financially, I, I don't know if they would have the same sort of early stumbles that they did years ago when the question was whether they can make money. I think that question's answered. They obviously can make money, but the different question now is, is this company good or bad for the world? Thanks for listening to The Readback. If you're a new listener, welcome. If you've been listening for a while, we're glad to have you back. Either way, we'd love to know what you think of the show. Please leave a review if you listen on Apple Podcasts. Reviews make it easier for others to find the show. You can also email us at thereadbackatbarons.com. Thanks to Mike Isaac and Jack Howe. For more coverage on Facebook, you can check out barons.com. I'm Alex Yule. The Readback is produced by Meta Lutzoft and Katie Ferguson. Melissa Haggerty is our executive producer. Next week on the show, Uber was supposed to have a $120 billion IPO, where it all went wrong. They're saying this is a $100 billion company, $120 billion company, and we're just getting started. There was this period where we were euphoric about the business model, then we were despondent about the business model, then business execution got better. I feel like that's the, you know, like the seven levels of, of grief that we've gone through with Uber. We'll be back next week.